welcome back to What the HR Podcast. I'm Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH Robinson. And I'm Mike Tool, HR technology consultant with SAP SuccessFactors. Thank you for joining another episode of What the HR. Today, we're joined by Lauren Gardner. Lauren is the head of global talent acquisition at Microsoft, where her goal is to engage, attract, and develop global, innovative, and diverse talent. She also serves as an executive sponsor of Microsoft's Black at Microsoft Employee Resource Group. Although her commitment to diversity, equality, and inclusion extends to all dimensions of diversity. Prior to leading their talent acquisition team, she served as the HR manager for Microsoft's marketing and consumer business, where she was able to pair her love for talent management, organizational capability, and storytelling to deliver a best-in-class experience for Microsoft's customers and curate the end-to-end first and third-party device ecosystem to drive business growth. Outside of Microsoft, she's got a passion for supporting local charities focused on eradicating hunger, increasing availability of healthcare, and providing strong educational opportunities for communities that wouldn't otherwise have access. In today's episode, Mike and I chat with Lauren about hiring in a hybrid environment. We also ask uh, Lauren the question, are education requirements necessary for all roles? And we also spend quite a bit of time talking about um, upskilling and reskilling of your talent, all topics that are incredibly relevant. And Lauren has some incredible insights. I really think you're going to love this episode. Um, If so, we really encourage you to go out and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Those reviews and comments help us to get the word out about the What the HR podcast and ensure that we can share um, the great information that our guests share on this podcast with other HR professionals and executives. Enjoy the episode. All right, Lauren, thank you for joining us. Of course. And thank you so much for having me today. You bet. Uh, easy way of getting started. Can you tell our audience uh, about yourself, you know, your career and you know what you're doing today at Microsoft? Yeah, happy to. So I am currently, I'll start with what I do today and then rewind a bit. So I am currently our corporate vice president for global talent acquisition, but I very much started my career in two things, HR as well as Microsoft, which was frankly unintentional. I had uh, finished grad school, was looking to see what I wanted to do, and knew that HR was my area of passion. I thought maybe it would be marketing or some other business related, but the business of people and achieving business outcomes was important to me. So I got my first job in compensation, and I learned a ton about how companies compensate, the value of total compensation, how we think about analytics. Believe it or not, when I started at Microsoft, a lot of our reports were hard copy. So that was interesting for a software company, but it was a fascinating opportunity to learn about high tech in particular and the value of other compensation tools. Uh, After that, I went into HR line. I thought the stories that my peers would tell me about the business impact and even some of the people stories really, you know, I have a psych undergrad. I thought, wow, that sounds very interesting and something that I would like to learn more about. And frankly, stayed in the HR line, went through whether or not it was the tactical to the strategic side at the time we did it all until my boss asked me one day to consider a role in her organization running recruiting at the time. And honestly, Mike, I told her no three times. I thought it was an option. I didn't know that I was qualified to do the role. It was a manager of managers and I'd never been a recruiter. 
Fourth time she asked me, she said, I need you to take it. And I said, well, why didn't you say so? And it was likely the best thing for me and my development because it was a forcing function to learn about another part of HR I wasn't familiar with, how I also needed to recruit and attract and build talent for an organization. Part of the businesses included the development of Xbox. Boy, there's a lot of stories there for another time. And then after that, I went back to the line and spent probably a bulk of my career in a couple of other strategic line roles until about almost three years now, my manager, Kathleen Hogan, asked me to consider taking on our global talent acquisition organization. And unlike the first time, I jumped at the chance. It was a glo- It is a global business. It is a high growth area. I have a lot to continue to learn. I get a ton of energy out of learning, uh, leading and adding value to others. And I couldn't wait. Now that's the good news. The wow wasn't expecting that as all of us weren't expecting the impact of COVID-19. I was literally in the job uh, three weeks in my office before it was clear that this was a pandemic and we needed to, one, go home, and two, make sure that we had really reset our strategy in terms of how we acquire talent. Great journey. Absolutely. I love that the fourth time you say that they asked you, but it sounds like more they told you. Yeah, that was more voluntold. The fourth time was more voluntold. <laughs> yep. First three yep. times were the appearance of asking. So, in, in that role or the new role that you're in, you mentioned that you just started and then COVID hit. And with COVID came the acceleration of hybrid and flexible work, right? I think we all agree that's probably here to stay. So what do you see as far as the future of recruiting in the new workspace that we have? Yeah. One of the things I'm really excited about that is as much as we don't want to see a pandemic drive or maybe accelerate change, but it's widened our talent aperture. So when we think about, you know, hybrid and flexible work, the, it, this gave us an opportunity to think more about how we could further leverage technology. And frankly, it gave us an opportunity to think more about how we emphasize diversity and inclusive hiring practices. So as you can imagine, like any company, we you know looked at the evolution of our interview approach, which was important to make sure that it was aligned to our culture. So to give an example, we had already had work underway, but it accelerated what we call our interview culture guide. So it literally is how do we not only think about minimum qualifications of the role, but how are we asking questions and probing for candidates who will be culture at? So that's one of the things I'm incredibly proud about. Two, this is not a new concept, but we got very serious about how we think about opportunities to screen in talent. I think traditionally recruiting, we're always looking to screen people out, but if people are qualified and perhaps we can think beyond the profile and skills required and needed and what we can teach, that has become even more important in terms of how we think about interviewing. As you can imagine, all of us, believe it or not, one quick anecdote, when we first met moved to virtual uh, virtual interviews, which we needed to do, like many companies, very, very quickly. Um, I was working with our team. We were working with senior leadership to make sure that we were all aligned on what our approach would be. And I asked the team, all right, you know, we'll need to quickly convert the in-person to virtual interviews. What is that? A few hundred and we can go quickly. It was 9,000 interviews that we needed to convert from in-person to virtual. And the reality is, look, Hard work, blood, sweat, tears, and technology drove that change. So we know tech will continue to play a prominent role. 
how we interview and connect with people will play an even more prominent role. And virtual interviewing and flexibility, they're here to stay. It won't change. We're already prepared for the day that we are truly in a we'll call it a more an endemic that we will likely continue to rely very heavily on the practices that we, one, we've already been utilizing and two, we think it will help drive growth. I'm curious um, if there was any work that you felt needed to be done or maybe was done in order to prepare those hiring managers and maybe even recruiters, frankly, to be as solid of participants and recruiters in a virtual setting versus a in-person setting? Yeah, that is a fantastic question. And it was a big one because as you can imagine, in some of our sales organizations, they already had virtual interviews. We did not always fly people halfway around the world or even in the US several states, if not necessary or needed or groups weren't co-located. But as you can imagine, a lot of our hiring managers are used to seeing people in person, Uh, seeing people through the hallways, making connections and developing relationships. So we really did have to create more guidance for our teams in terms of how do we manage our screening processes? How do we manage tech screens? That was a big one because we have some of our organizations that have specific tech screens and coding screens that we need to figure out how to virtualize. And then how do we behave differently in terms of how we interview? So are you cameras on, cameras off? For people who don't feel comfortable with camera, how can you build connection? So we did not have that, to be honest with you, prior to COVID, but we have it now in terms of what can we do and continue to learn and grow to create a positive and productive interview experience. And don't get me wrong, Jess, I am not here to say that we're perfect. We're continuing to learn. Um, Thank goodness growth mindset is the basis for much of our culture, but it gave us an excellent opportunity to think about how we can virtualize, create more flexible and scalable experiences. Yeah, I I appreciate that. And um, it's good to hear that that was a focus area for you guys. I know right when, um, you know, similar timing as everybody else, we were doing that transition as well. One of my biggest um, fears as somebody who was helping my leaders prepare for a situation like that was that consciously or unconsciously, our workstations are distracting. And you know, I think it can, it's already hard enough when we're sitting in, you know, back to back zoom or teams or whatever, you know, technology you're using call, and then you're transitioning into an interview. Whereas typically if you were to be in person with that individual, there would be zero distractions, you know, minus maybe other people that are in the room with you as part of that panel. Um, And so, and then also too, you know, when you have multiple uh, monitors, oftentimes maybe you have your interview notes on one screen or you're taking notes on another screen. So I just remember being very vocal with the candidates that like, Hey, you know, this isn't maybe an ideal setup, but just know um, our time with you today, we're fully invested in this 60 or 90 minutes with you, even though we might be working off of double monitors, even though the note taking might look a little bit different, you know, et cetera, et cetera. 
I think it's an excellent point and one. So imagine in an office scenario that someone's child went running by. Like there are distractions. And, you know, we've had to, with our team and the hiring teams, make sure that we practice, frankly, inclusive practices, that not everyone has fantastic Wi-Fi. Not everyone has access to their own room or their own office. And we really did need to, frankly, and, you know, just very clearly address that, the experience may look different, and we want to make sure as hiring teams that we're as inclusive as possible, whether or not a candidate has to take a quick pause to handle a personal emergency. I recall one day I was in an important meeting, and I looked up, and I saw my da- my adult daughter fall down the stairs. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'll be right back. You know, and, but, but it makes us more human, and that's not a bad thing. That is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. I mean, as I had to pause this recording to go tell my kid to quit playing hockey. So I, I get it. Um, we've talked, so with hybrid flexible work, I think there are some challenges that that brings, but also some good things, but outside of that, in terms of talent acquisition, generally speaking, maybe for 2022, what do you see as the biggest uh, challenge yeah. that folks are going to see? It's a great question. And if you don't mind, Mike, I will. What I'll do is just go back to one that we've experienced for the last several months that I think will continue for a bit. And it really is to just be blunt it's competition for talent. And when I say competition for talent, I think what most, what Microsoft, I can speak for us, we're used to, we're used to competing for great talent. We know that when we're looking for people to fill our roles, that we're not the only company in town. And we've got to make sure that people understand where we do believe we can differentiate. For the first time, though, in my memory as a professionalist, we have been battling hard for recruiters. So I don't know if you all saw the article, and I can't remember where it, where um, who had published it, but several months ago, there were more recruiter openings than there were software development engineer openings. Because what you started to see when the economy started to rebound from the first impact of COVID, that certain, certain industries were absolutely hurting, and you know they still are. Other industries were growing tremendously, of which technology was one of them. So everyone is now battling for the same talent, and how do you hire talent? recruiters. So, you know, one of the real opportunities and challenges for us as we talk about broadening the talent aperture, that's a benefit. One of the detriments is there's low barrier to exit. Candidates don't have to travel for interviews. Candidates can literally and figuratively leave and start their next job the next day, not having physically met anyone, et cetera. So it is a fascinating opportunity and world that we're in. And while we could lament and Wow, is that really cool to quit a job after four months? The market is the market. So, you know, what we've done, I love, you know, it's easy to say, let's focus on retention. If you're talking about retention, you might be too late. So it's like, where do we truly differentiate from a career, from culture? And what are things that would make people want to continue to build their career here? And how can we continue to be compelling? But Market churn is real, and particularly when companies rely on recruiting to bring people in to develop and make products, we have to make sure we have enough people to do that. So mm-hmm. it is an opportunity, but it is a challenge for sure. Mm-hmm. Can, can you talk a little bit more about what you guys have maybe done to oust the competition? And you don't have to share all the secrets, but yeah, well, I won't be, be sharing our salary ranges. Let me be <laughs> Right. But, you know, we have we have companies that are not necessarily Microsoft. Right. 
Um, so I think there's a lot of things that you guys probably have overcome that they can leverage in their day to day as well. No, it's a great question. And if I if I took it to its simplest form or my response to its simpler form, it's getting the balance right between what we call buying talent, meaning recruiting and building talent. And what we're mm-hmm. finding is as important as it is for us to recruit the talent, it's as important or more to make sure that you have the culture where everyone can leverage, um, leverage the culture, they can learn, grow, and frankly, uh, meet discretionary effort. Like, hey, at the end of the day, that will make us all go. That's one. Two, it's career. Like what we're working on is how do we think about not just hiring for the profile, but for the skills of the future. And that might include jobs that we don't know about yet. But Mm -hmm. even in that scenario, we want people who join Microsoft to think beyond the role that we're hiring them for, which is why we look at cultural attributes. Can you learn? Can you grow? We know that, you know, the skill sets that will be required, a lot of people will have to retrain and relearn. So do we have the culture and frankly, the management capability and the development strategy to make sure that we're at the forefront of that? So Mm -hmm. we're still learning. You know, one of the other big hot topics for us is internal marketplace. How do we make sure that our employees see the possibility for job two and job three? And again, that's around technology, discoverability, management support, making sure that we're clear about what the opportunities are for growth. And that's work that is that is well underway, but it's definitely an opportunity for us. You know, on that note, I'm kind of curious and maybe Micros- this question is might be a little tricky for a culture like Microsoft with mm-hmm. so much um, t- you know, so many technology experts needed within your organization. Um, but it's something we're evaluating where I'm at right now. So I'm just going to take the opportunity to pick your brain about it in case it may apply to our listeners as well. But with the war on talent, and you also add on top of it, a lot of companies strong focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. I'm wondering if Microsoft have, have re-evaluated your degree requirements. It's a great question and one I'm incredibly passionate about. If if I own if I own the decision for everyone in this particular country that we live in, I'd love to see degree requirements go away. We know that they can't in every scenario because of our immigration laws and the need to make sure that we're broadening our global aperture of talent. They can't go away altogether. But honestly, Jess, we are looking at roles that it isn't a requirement. There's a difference between a preference and a requirement. And we're really starting to work hard to agitate on Let's focus on qualifications and skills. This is not a message about we're not, we're discouraging people to go to college. That's not it at all. But the reality is not every, there are fantastic skills and people out there that for whatever reason didn't go to college. There are a lot of people in many countries who can't afford a quarter million dollar education. And that is talent that we don't want to turn away and that we absolutely want to think about considering. So we are looking at and revisiting what truly is degree requirement. And in my perfect world, that would just be based on how we could comply to local laws and really, really pushing ourselves to think about if you have experience or comparable skills, a degree could be a could certainly be something that we would look at, but not a requirement. So we're working 
working hard. I think it's a great question to rethink and revisit what skills and qualifications are and where college degrees fall, um, college degree requirements fall into that. But we are absolutely in the thick of that consideration as we speak, for sure. Is Has that been a tough pitch to your business leaders? Some, perhaps, some, perhaps not. And when you consider we're human, right? So many people that we hire have been incredibly successful, incredibly successful. But if we consider the fact that our former CEO, Bill Gates, who is an incredibly brilliant individual, he did not finish his college degree and has done quite well. So if we think that's the basis of how Microsoft was created, we are working with our leaders. Yes, there are some that would say, hey, if it's a highly technical, think of it, quantum computing would be a canonical example. Might that require a degree? Probably so. But there are more of our jobs that likely wouldn't require a degree. If people come in with the appropriate qualifications on skills, we need to be considering them. So we're actually reviewing today in the roles that don't have college degrees, what is the typical profile of who's coming in the door? So it is, it's ongoing. And honestly, Jess, I think it'll require a behavior change because there are biases that all people have in terms of what it means to have a college degree or not to have a college degree that we're likely going to have to continue to address and overcome. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't hurt to have that uh, Bill Gates example to pull out of your back. No, it does not. I, I constantly true. remind people that might be a little resistant, but if you think about recruiting, just like anything else, people can't help but apply. Well, this was my experience. I was successful. Ergo, you know, and what we're really pushing on each other, it's like, look, we've got to not just replicate who we've hired companies that broaden their talent aperture and really reflect the customers that we serve are the ones that will accelerate growth and win. Companies that only focus on the same profile and what we'll call the same plays over and over, I just don't think it's going to be as easy to grow and to learn. But what we're asking people to do is the opposite of what humans do. Like gravitates toward like. People are comfortable with people like them. But when we think about diversity and equity and inclusion, the real conversation needs to be not how do we replicate yourself? How do you broaden, understand what's going on in the world, open your talent aperture and get serious about hiring for a diverse, equitable and inclusive environment? Well mm-hmm. stated. Wrap wrap that up. We're done with the podcast. <laughs> Drop the mic. Yes, yes. It's a, it's a great question, Jess. I'm glad I'm glad you asked that, and really interesting answer too. I do. I want to back up just a little bit to when you talked about restealing, upstealing your workforce. I, I've heard it a few times actually on other guests too that talk about this dilemma that people have. Like one, we can go out and get talent, or do we have it and they're sitting in a different role? I'm curious. Within Microsoft, you guys have so many people. Yeah. How do you find the people that you would want to consider um, maybe rescaling for a, a different role? You know, I just I I think about the task that that may be, and maybe some of the direction you could give our listeners on how to identify people for future roles that maybe aren't in their core competencies. Yeah, it's a it's a great question, Mike. So let me let me give an example and then um, come back to, you know, talk a bit more about um, in response to your question. As some of you may know, Microsoft had physical retail stores like many companies had. And when COVID hit, it really changed how we needed to think about driving revenue in that part of the retail space. 
We have always had this amazing opportunity to look at the retail stores profiles and think about how we can convert those folks and train them if necessary and needed to other roles within the company. And frankly, the progress was good. I wouldn't call it great. So what what ended up happening, and actually it was before COVID started, but a team got very serious about creating what they call the Sales Academy. And what the Sales Academy is, is an investment in our non-traditional hires So use retail as one. And then I'll talk about another quick program where we look at people that may or may not be degreed. A lot of our retail stores folks, believe it or not, were degreed and half of them weren't degreed. But how can we get them the technical expertise, whether or not they're looking at sales. How do we close a deal? How do we think about for folks that show aptitude for potentially development? So the reality is we partner with our friends at LinkedIn. They've got LinkedIn Learning where we absolutely send our folks and plug in. But Sales Academy is also co-created with Microsoft in terms of really looking at the skills required and how to retrain people for other roles that we have at Microsoft. I could, you know, I'm super proud of that effort. I know that we've got a long way to go, but what it also, there's the training and what we call the building, but it's also just, I think a little bit to your question, how do we also encourage our managers to think more broadly about the talent? Because we've got a lot of incredibly successful folks that originally started in sales that perhaps not so long ago, our hiring managers might've resisted considering for other roles, but the more we see the success, the more that we can scale. We also have a program called LEAP. I don't know if you all are familiar with that as well. And that's on our tech side. So that's that's been around for a while. I, I wish I could tell you the volume was even bigger than it is, but we're looking to expand. And those are folks that are non-traditional that we're putting in technical rotation to give them the experiences and the real life opportunity to understand what does it mean to code, to project manage uh, technical projects for people who have that aptitude. And we still have quite a few employees who came that program. So those are a couple of examples. But I would what I would tell you is one of the things that we don't have yet, but we're really working at to go back to responding to your specific question, Mike, on how do we think about the internal marketplace? So realistically, to your point, how do we identify internals that we think might demonstrate aptitude for whatever is next? As humans, if I use probably a poor analogy, many managers want what I call the microwave meal. They want that candidate heat for 60 seconds and they want them ready to go. And in the new normal, what it's going to require all of us to do is think about how do we grow skills? How do we refresh skills? What is the role the manager plays in that? And what is the role that the company plays? Because the reality is we've got to be able to identify talent internally so we can more deliberately move people to and through and grow them within Microsoft. But that requires the whole system to be able to support identification interests, you know, we've talked a bit about, gosh, what would it look like if we actually internally sourced? So we took a look at skills based on what we know of our employees and say, hey, there's 10 people here that could be very interesting for this role. And how do we start to do some experimentation around that so we can have a more robust internal marketplace? And even then, we know that some people might make a decision to do something different. 
Like Mm -hmm. most of us, we have five generations in the workplace and people's perspectives and views on what they want, what's important to them, how long they'd like to stay in a company, very tremendously um, based on a multitude of factors, including, you know, how people are used to working. We have, you know, Older generations like myself, it is not uncommon for people to stay at companies for five years, 10 years. For maybe some of our newer generations, that is uncommon. So we've got to think about how do we, with precision, skill, and flexibility, move talent through the system more seamlessly? Mm-hmm. That's that's great. I heard so a couple of things. One, you're intentionally rounding out the skills of the people that you have, but then See, when I asked in my mind, I'm thinking, how do you pluck specific people to, you know, change roles or or change skills? But you guys are presenting certain opportunities for people then to come to you that are, you know, have shown the initiative that I want to maybe um, receive learning in different areas. That's right. But but what I will say though, to, you know, where maybe you thought I was going to go with this, there are, there is what we'll call the tap, you know, I would, I, when we think about the balance of diversity and equity and inclusion, there's a balance to that, right? Because if, you know, as we think about management appointments and as we think about large roles, and also as we think about what's our philosophy at Microsoft in terms of should people move for their next big opportunity, particularly now after hybrid, how do we grow people more horizontally? Those are incredibly important There is a, you know, how do we encourage people to consider relative to what do we do to tap? Because if you tap, I think it's really, really critical that we're giving equal opportunity for those opportunities. And if not managed closely, you you know, sometimes the the intention may be there, but the impact may not necessarily be equivalent for everybody. Mm -hmm. Within SAP, actually, we have some roles where it is almost a contract, like, and I don't mean contract in terms of contract or contingent workforce, but it's you're in a role for this business unit for a year, and then you're in this role. Like it's it's an automatic career trajectory. And I'm wondering just your thoughts around, do you see more roles getting to that point where, because then you kind of bake in that time frame and you allow people to stop maybe halfway through and say, okay, I'm not going to want to do this again in a year. Yeah, I absolutely see. I absolutely, I love that. And I absolutely see the market going in that direction. And when we talk about the robust internal marketplace, that's exactly what we're talking about. So whether or not someone takes a role as a career, you know, hey, I'll be here two to three years and then I'll do something different, whether or not it's a project like your example for a year or, or an assignment for a year, or whether or not it's a project, like in the perfect world, I would love to see a balance of all three because you could have, hey, We've got somebody, you know, we've got a group that's growing tremendously. Here's what you'll learn in this opportunity experience, you know, raise hands. Great. And it's like, we'll take folks and, you know, figure out a way that they can grow their skills, preserve their roles and continue to grow. When we look at internal, a really robust internal marketplace, that's exactly what we're talking about. So it is a little less you take this role, you stay for X number of months, years, and then you take this role. Yes, we will still have that as growth opportunities, but how do we think even more, you know, creating a more dynamic talent marketplace? That is absolutely something that we're talking about and focused on for sure. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. It's kind of like creating a gig economy and underneath a corporate umbrella. And we all know how popular the gig economy is right now. So I think it's a great retention tool for talent. And I also think that it's a great way. I'm, I'm not sure, you know, how matrixed Microsoft is, or like, you know, how specific, you know, different divisions underneath the overall umbrella. But I think when you have kind of gig economies um, in that type of an environment, it really creates this kind of one team atmosphere instead of just being really knowledgeable in one area of your business. And then therefore having, um, you know, maybe belief stereotypes about other divisions within a company being better or worse than the one that you work for. You're exactly right. And it balances the vertical and horizontal growth. So when we think about people of the future, they will have had multiple experiences versus, as you can imagine, in a big company, you know, it's easy to look at vertical growth, but how do we support that with dynamic, horizontal, and vertical growth? I'm really excited about the work. Uh that we will be doing. Let me be clear. There are some things that we have done already, but we still have a lot, you know, a lot of opportunity to really think about the gig economy in a more earnest way. Jess, you know, this has been a concept that we've been discussing for years, but because of significant growth and COVID, this is probably the best time that we have to actually look at how do we leverage these opportunities in front of us. So Lauren, on that topic, you know, although Microsoft, it sounds like has done a great job with specific programs, you know, to help with the reskilling and upskilling, I think it also is, is obvious that, you know, anybody in a people leader role also takes on those types of responsibilities in an organization that is learning and development focused, which Microsoft certainly is. So can you talk a little bit about what you know, your team, your HR leadership teams have done to help support um, people leaders in the upskilling and reskilling work, you know, not, not only to help um, give them the skills to upskill and reskill, but then also that balancing act of that additional mentoring and coaching that's required while also meeting the needs of their day-to-day duties. Yeah, that's a fantastic question, Jess. And one that, you know, again, we are not finished. This is work that is well underway. And I think it'll be a for a journey that will forever, you know, be part of the work that we do. So to your point, it is no small feat for a manager and a leader in this day and age to think about how do you run your business, grow your business. Uh, retain your talent when, you know, the world, there's so many opportunities for employees right now. Oh, and by the way, make sure that you're expanding the talent aperture so you have time to train your talent, et cetera. So there, there are a couple of things that I would highlight here. One is we have work underway. We call it talent architecture, but really for us, it's an opportunity to make sure that we are appropriately and equivalently defining the roles. And one would say that everybody does that, but every company needs to refresh, simplify. So that work for us is underway right now. And that is the basis by which we will then be able to support discoverability of people, discoverability of jobs. Because if you don't have that foundation, trying to actually make matches and support matches for people becomes very difficult because it's like, no, that job means this over here and that over there. And I don't want to give you the impression that we have chaos. It isn't chaos, but because we have grown like a lot of companies so quickly, it gives us a chance to more deliberately think about how we're defining and we're moving people through the role. So we're literally about 75% through that work. So that's one thing that will help our, our managers and our business think about discoverability of talent. 
Two, as you can imagine, in my role, we work very closely with our talent and learning. Think of it as talent management, leadership, and peers on what systems and tools and approaches can we use to think about individual, um, how do we not only think about discoverability, but what do we need to do in terms of thinking about whether or not it's systemic onboarding so we can help people get up to speed faster, whether or not it's continuing to augment our learning strategy for managers and leaders. And as you, I think you probably know, but we spend quite a bit of time with our managers and leaders on what the expectations are and how we can help them. So the basis for that work is on three simple words, if you will, not so simple, but model coach care. It's like, okay, your role in this and how how will you support employees? How will you, particularly in scenarios that we realize how critical not only um, the individual as a worker is, but their whole selves. So we talk a lot about mental wellness and how we prioritize the work. So there is a lot that goes on into the underpinning as well as the work that a lot of our teams are doing in terms of how do we get people up to speed faster and consistently provide them with learning and training so they can uh, add to the breadth of their skills. But you have to provide time for that. So, you know, it is always about how we think about learning strategy, how we think about providing time for that, how we make sure that we're supporting our employees to deliver discretionary effort. But again, know that we I'm coming at this from a space of a growth mindset. We're constantly learning. We're constantly iterating. I cannot tell you that every manager says, yay, give me more, you know, but it really does, you know, help us think about what do we expect of our managers and leaders? How do we support them? And then in turn, how do we make sure that we, and I feel like HR plays a very significant role here, have a very robust strategy, not just on learning, but we call it people processes and tools. So it's easy to just put all the all of the focus on tools, but the reality is all three of them have to hum in order for us to really think about a sustainable skilling opportunity and option. And you start proving that through what are the profiles that you hire that are non-traditional? What can they grow and learn? And what are the proof points for us to do that? So we are constantly iterating, learning, whether or not it's small experiments or larger scale change that we're looking to drive. Um, we're looking to drive value in that area because that's where the market's going. Mm -hmm. There might be what we want. At the end of the day, it isn't just what we want. It's the thing I love the most about this job is you literally get a chance to bring people in for business and skills you might not even know you need yet. Mm -hmm. But people who have that potential to help be part of the future. I just get a ton of energy out of that. Yeah. Well, that I really loved that response. And, you know, our listenership is anywhere from, you know, HR practitioners that work for global companies, you know, like a, a Microsoft, for example, to an HR island of one. And our goal is always that whether you are an HR island of one or you're part of a large global HR team, that you will walk away from each of our episodes with one or two nuggets that resonated with you, taught you something, something you can bring back to your business. And I think what you just shared is really 
uh, insightful and helpful because it helps other HR people know that there isn't necessarily a secret sauce. You know, all of us are doing the, the best that we can and we're, it's important to be nimble and agile and to pivot, you know, to test things out, learn from those, pivot again. Um, and I think it's those organizations that kind of quote unquote fail fast in those situations mm-hmm. that um, do the best in keeping their talent engaged and in that the, the culture is that, Hey, we're not, we don't put ourselves in a box here. We understand that if something works or doesn't work, excuse me, that we're not afraid to pivot and try something else. That's right. It, it really is the basis to your point. I couldn't have said it better. Jess, you said it better than I did. Um, it is the basis for growth mindset where, you know, it's like, we will succeed if we're learn at alls, never done, always learning and iterating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I love You've said a few times, hey, this is what the market's telling us. Not necessarily rely on our own understanding, but listen to what it's saying. Um, so kind of to wrap, I, I'm, I'm curious, we're dealing with a lot of things right now, you know, within our economy and within the talent acquisition space. But what do you see as the next big thing or the next big challenge? Or maybe it's a personal project that you're working on. I, I will maybe I'll split the middle in a response. I have a lot of personal passion. Like I know at Mike, we won't hire everyone who is interested in working at Microsoft, but I have a ton of passion for making sure that everyone who is interested in working and having impact has an opportunity for skill development and a livable wage. And I don't know if you all have seen the commercial, I think it's SNHU that talks about the world equally, we live in a world that equally distributes talent, but doesn't equally distribute opportunity. And if we could find a way as HR practitioners to do what we can, you know, not just to advance our business, but to raise the tide and the success for everyone in terms of what their opportunities could be and how they can maximize those opportunities, then I, I, I would I would die with a smile on my face. I know it may sound naive, but I think large companies in particular have a significant responsibility and impact on our social constructs, not just our business constructs. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I love that. As as we wrap, can you tell our listeners how they can learn more about you? I mean, I think most people can find Microsoft, but if they want to learn more from you, Lauren, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, while well, I'm very tempted to give out my email, um, what I will do is the easiest way to reach me is simply at LinkedIn. It's super mm-hmm. easy. So I'm easy to find Lauren Gardner. Just look me up at Microsoft. I'm the only Lauren today, the only Lauren Gardner at Microsoft. And I'd be happy to answer any and all questions. I get a ton of energy out of just connecting with you again. I, Jess, I love what you said. Big companies don't, we haven't solved everything. You know, we are continuing to learn and iterate, but if we can all get that back balance right between buying talent, building talent, having the culture where everyone could do their best work. Again, I think there's so much opportunity as an HR practitioner, even with the fatigue in the system, even with the uncertainty. I mean, that's real. The struggle's real, but the opportunity is great. And can I just say thank you so much for the invitation today? I really appreciate it. Great question. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, pleasure is ours. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. 
Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsherm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use code WHATTHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.